0: Hello and welcome to The Long Lie. We are a multidisciplinary team focused on improving the care of older patients who visit the emergency department which we work in. You can contact us via email at thelonglieatoutlook.com, that's thelonglieoutlook.com or follow us on Twitter at thelonglie1. Today's episode is on Parkinson's disease. My name is Ian Tyrrell and I'm an advanced clinical practitioner specialising in frailty and a physiotherapist by background. And alongside me, we have...
1: Um, I'm Alice Holt. I'm an emergency medicine consultant um, working at the University Hospital of North Midlands. Um, and I am the um, elderly care lead and I'm passionate about um, improving the care of older people in our emergency departments.
2: My name is Kim Selby and I'm a pharmacist, independent prescriber working in ED at UHNM. One of my main roles is to help ensure that patients on time critical medications, such as Parkinson's medication, have their medications prescribed and also administered on time.
0: So, together in today's episode, we'll take you through a very brief overview of Parkinson's disease, giving an insight into the effects it can have on the body and some of the most common reasons as to why a person with Parkinson's disease may end up in the emergency department. We will talk about the different types of medications there are and what effect they actually have on the body. We'll talk about why these medications are so important and why they are deemed to be time critical. Progressing from this, we'll talk about what to do if your patient is unable to take their regular medication and how we can adapt treatments. And finally, we'll focus on what we can do to ensure that no doses of Parkinson's medication are missed. So given that there is a whole lot to get through, let's waste no time in beginning and begin by asking the million dollar question, what is Parkinson's disease?
1: So, For the purposes of this podcast, we're going to be talking just about Parkinson's disease and not about Parkinsonism. So essentially, Parkinson's disease is a neurodegenerative disorder that affects the dopamine-producing neurons in a specific area of the brain that's called the basal ganglia. And essentially, dopamine loss explains all the signs and symptoms of Parkinson's disease. It was originally thought to be just a purely motor disease with the well-known triad of symptoms, including a pill-rolling tremor, rigidity and bradykinesia. But we now know that all the different systems of the body are affected, including the motor, the associative system, which is responsible for cognition, the limbic system, which regulates emotions and the autonomic nervous system. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to split some of the common symptoms and signs of Parkinson's disease into the four systems that I've just mentioned. So um, the motor manifestations of Parkinson's disease include difficulty initiating movements, and this is sometimes called freezing. And freezing often occurs in specific situations, such as when a patient with Parkinson's disease is starting to walk, or if they're stepping through a door, or when they're performing multiple or complex tasks. And there are specific things that um, can be done to help with the phenomenon known as freezing. Walking to a rhythm might help, so using a metronome might help, or you can advise patients to start swinging their arms to help initiate movement. Um, And if you look on the Parkinson's disease website, which is really, really good, um, then they've got lots of helpful tips and hints um, as to how to help with some of the more um, difficult um, symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Um, other motor manifestations include a hyper- hypokinetic dysarthria, so um, they talk very slowly. Um, patients often suffer with drooling and dysphagia and reduced facial movement, um, and this is often a really big problem for patients because they can't use normal facial expressions to express or demonstrate their feelings. They just have the one face. Um that's not an exhaustive list of the motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease, but they're the most common manifestations. Um, how, does the par- how does Parkinson's disease affect the associative system? Um, this can include um, really quite vivid hallucinations that are usually um, visual hallucinations. Um, and Patients with Parkinson's disease um, often um, suffer with a phenomenon known as REM sleep disorder. So when a patient with Parkinson's disease enters REM sleep, um, they have very vivid dreams um, and they can often become quite violent in their sleep. Um, So something to bear in mind if you see a patient with Parkinson's disease and they've fallen out of bed, um, it might be because they suffer from REM sleep disorder. And another thing to bear in mind is if they co-sleep with a partner and they come in with injuries, it might not be down to domestic violence. It might be because um, they suffer from REM sleep disorder. Um, And if people are interested, there's lots of quite um, interesting videos that you can have a look at um, on the web. Um, It it can be really quite dramatic. Um, The limbic system um, is affected in the form of Lewy body dementia. And unfortunately, any patient who lives long enough um, with Parkinson's disease will go on to develop Lewy body dementia. Um, And also, perhaps unsurprisingly, um, depression is really quite common. Um, Autonomic manifestations of Parkinson's disease include postural hypotension. And all patients with Parkinson's disease will have an element of this. Um, And patients also suffer really quite badly um, from constipation and are at really quite high risk of volvulus. So now should we talk about um, how patients with Parkinson's disease present to emergency departments?
0: So I think one of the biggest causes of people coming to the emergency department with Parkinson's disease is with falls. Um, obviously, as you've already talked about, their gait be- can become effective and they're affected by bradykinesia and um, kind of difficulty in mobilization. The difficulty with Parkinson's disease patients is that in terms of their gait, it's not as easy as just giving them a walking aid. Because of their difficulty in functioning and processing thoughts, actually initiating movement with a walking aid may not be that easy. Also, in, th- in terms of postural hypertension, with them struggling to get up and get moving, this can often res- result in quite serious falls to begin with.
2: Um, there can also be medication-related reasons that patients may present to ED. So um, these patients may attend due to the missing doses of their Parkinson's medication. Uh, perhaps they've been vomiting or they've been they've had a fall and they've been on the floor for um, a couple of hours unable to access their medications. When the medications are even half an hour to an hour late, uh, patients can deteriorate really quickly, um, even if, like as I say, if one dose is missed. Um, another reason they can come into the ED, so they, they may have been prescribed a new drug, perhaps from the GP or elsewhere, that may have worsened their Parkinson's control. Um, drugs that do this commonly are the dopamine blockers or dopamine antagonists. And these are drugs such as metaclopramide, prochlorperazine, haloperidol, and a lot of the antipsychotics. Uh, these reduce the levels of dopamine um, in the brain and counteract counteract the effect of the patient's Parkinson's medication. Um, sometimes this can this can cause a, a, a rare syndrome, which Alice is now going to just touch on.
1: Yeah, so um something that I think is really, really important to mention um is a is a rare presentation um of patients with Parkinson's disease and that's something called neuroleptic malignant syndrome. Now people will probably know about this because um, they'll have been taught it um when they're thinking about um, patients who've been prescribed antipsychotics. Um, so it's it's something that psychiatrists are um, really quite clued up on, um, because one in 500 patients um, who've been prescribed an antipsychotic, um, which are typ- typically dopamine antagonists, um, will develop this neuroleptic malignant syndrome. However, um, patients with Parkinson's disease um, can develop neuroleptic malignant syndrome, um, and that's usually Either they've had an abrupt discontinuation of their Parkinson's meds. So perhaps they've been, they've had a fall and they've had a long lie and they've not had access to the normal Parkinson's medications, or um, as Kim has just been telling us, um, they've been given a dopamine blocker um, such as metoclopramide. So, um, how do they normally present? So they present usually with rigidity, um, hyperpyrexia, and that normally is quite marked, so often over 40 degrees. Um, they they have dystasia and they also have autonomic disruption. So the autonomic disruption is, is quite important because this is how you can determine a patient who's got um, neuroleptic malignant syndrome and distinguish them from um, other presentations such as sepsis, which they're typically um, misdiagnosed as. So... They'll be tachycardic and they'll be hypertensive. So that's how you distinguish between a patient with neuroleptic malignant syndrome and somebody um, who's got severe sepsis. So they'll be hypertensive rather than hypotensive, which they would if they were septic. Um, The lab results will show quite a profound metabolic acidosis. They'll have a very raised um, CK, so often in the tens of thousands, and they'll have a very raised white cell count, and they'll have deranged LFTs. Um, They're usually very, very sick, um, and um, the first... The first line in how to manage them is firstly to diagnose them, and unless you've got this in the back of your head, in anybody who's got Parkinson's disease, then you'll never diagnose it. So just always think about it. Um, if you see somebody with Parkinson's disease who's who's really quite sick and you actually haven't got the foggiest idea what's going on, um, it may be that they've got neuroleptic malignant syndrome. Um, So how do you treat it? Um, Well, firstly, give their Parkinson's medications, and we'll talk a little bit um, afterwards about how to give Parkinson's medications if somebody's nil by mouth. Um, They'll need um, intravenous fluids, um, antipyretics, cooling, um, and often um, they'll need critical care and dialysis. Um, If you've got somebody with severe rigidity um, that's um, not, responding to the um, treatment that I've just explained, um, then you can give dantraline. Um, As I say, very commonly misdiagnosed on initial assessment, so it is really, really useful to keep this diagnosis in the back of your mind, not only when you're dealing with patients uh, who've been started on antipsychotics, but also um, when you're thinking about dealing with patients with Parkinson's disease.
0: I think one of the other um, common presentations, especially towards the latter stage of the disease, disease is uh, patients coming in with aspiration pneumonia. So obviously, as Alice mentioned, they will have, um, a lot of patients will have uh, drooling and dysphagia and have an altered swallow. No, if you have an altered swallow, that doesn't mean just being able to eat and drink or having modified diet. It's actually managing your oral secretions and saliva, and obviously people can actually aspirate just under saliva. So if people are having recurrent uh, admissions to A and E, f- say from a, a, a care home facility, um, with aspiration pneumonia, it may be worth not only just getting them um, assessed by the speech and language therapist, but it's about thinking about maybe drugs and medication that may need to manage their um. Their saliva if they can't actually swallow it themselves.
1: Um, One more thing I'd like to mention, my particular hobby horse, um, is delirium. Um, So patients with Parkinson's disease, and in particular those um, who are living with Lewy body dementia, are at really, really, really high risk of developing delirium. Now we will be doing a podcast um, specifically focusing on on delirium, but for now I'd just like to say that two up to two-thirds of patients presenting to um, emergency departments with delirium will remain undiagnosed for the entirety of their hospital stay. So if we don't think about it and diagnose it, then the chances are that nobody else is going to think about it either. Um, so please use the 480 screening tool in the back of the CAS card and um, just be aware of um, of delirium, particularly in patients who've got cognitive um, impairment.
0: Okay. So we've talked a lot about why pe- uh, people come to A&E with parkin- Parkinson's. So, And we know that there's quite a lot of med- medication out there for managing disease, but what are the most common ones and what do they actually do?
1: Okay. So firstly, I think it will be helpful to just briefly describe how dopamine is produced and broken down. So dopamine is responsible for Um, all the signs and symptoms of Parkinson's disease. And you can't just give synthetic dopamine orally because it's broken down um, by the liver and by the duodenum and it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier. So the the point of Parkinson's medications is to get the effects of dopamine in the brain. So bear with me now. In the the presynaptic ganglion, L-DOPA, which is the precursor of dopamine, is converted into dopamine by the enzyme called decarboxylase. Dopamine is then released from that presynaptic ganglion across the synapse. And whilst that dopamine is travelling across the synapse, some of that will be bro- dopamine will be broken down by an enzyme called transferase, or as I like to call it, COMPT, and also another enzyme called mono- monoamine oxidase. So then the dopamine that isn't broken down by those enzymes then attaches to the postsynaptic ganglion dopamine receptors, and the dopamine can then work as a neurotransmitter. So bearing that in mind, there are broadly three groups of medications that are used in Parkinson's disease. Firstly, there are those that increase the amount of L-dopa available. Um, and the commonly known ones of those are co or cinnamet and co-benaldopa, which is madapar. The second group of those medications are those medications that stop the breakdown of dopamine across the synapse. And these medications are the COMT inhibitors, and I can never say this word, um, entacopone, and the monoamine oxidase inhibitors, such as selegiline or asagiline. And the third and final group of medications are those that mimic the action of dopamine on the postsynaptic receptors, known as the dopamine agonists. And these um, common, commonly known ones of these are retigotine, which can be used um, as a patch, apomorphine, um, which is given subcutaneously as a pump, usually in advanced Parkinson's mm-hmm. disease, and amantadine.
0: So in terms of the actual drugs that people take, do they start at one end of the spectrum and then progress on uh, or is it just that they will try whatever drugs that work best?
1: So I don't know whether Kim, you'd like to
2: answer that question or you want me to answer it. Um, I can add a little bit. Um, So the patients quite often will will usually start on, on levodopa usually um as their symptoms progress you may have to have um, further drugs added in um it's getting the, the right sort of regime for the individual patient really uh, with the parkinson's nurses and specialists being at the heart of those decisions uh, with the patient and carers is there any more you want to add
1: alice so i think the, the first thing i'd like to say is that i think um patients are commonly started on quite a simple regime um but the half-life of l-dopa and dopamine is quite short um so whilst um a simple regime such as um just a, being put on um the, those medications that increase the amount of l-dopa so Cinemet and madipar that might be sufficient for perhaps six months um six to eight months and um, then because um because of the progression of the parkinson's and because um, there, there won't be as much dopamine available, then they increasingly have to go on much more complex regimes. Um, and often you'll you'll find people um, who come in and they, they have to be woken through the night to have Parkinson's meds. So as the Parkinson's disease progresses, um, you'll find that, that their medication regime becomes much more complex. Do you want to talk, Kim, a little bit about why Parkinson's medications are so
2: time critical? Sure. So um, it's really important when these patients come into hospital that we prescribe their medication and administer it when they would normally have it at home or in the care home. Um, We shouldn't be, you know, just prescribing it as per the drug round times. It's really important that they take it a set number of times per day on on the hour that we do the same whilst they're in hospital. The reason for that is um, every patient's different and the regime that they have um, has usually been moulded to suit them and their on and off periods. Um, So really, we should be trying to do the same whilst they're in hospital. The effect of the Parkinson's medication can wear off quite quickly. Um, So, you know, if we're like half an hour, an hour late giving them their meds, it can have a, a big impact on their Parkinson's control. Um, The British Geriatric Society has has previously stated that a few missed doses of Parkinson's medication can be fatal. And somebody who's nil by mouth with Parkinson's in the emergency department or on any ward is no less of an emergency than sepsis. So I'm going to go through why this is the case and what the risks of missing these medications can be. So as the medications wear off, um, you can find the patient's swallow deteriorates quite quickly They may lose the ability to swallow effectively and safely, and this can increase their risk of developing aspiration pneumonia, as Ian mentioned earlier. This further reduces their ability to swallow their Parkinson's medication, meaning they might need an NG tube inserting or their regime changing to a patch. Uh, This can further disrupt their Parkinson's control if their regimes change, and it might mean that a patient that was once able to go home from ED that day might have to be admitted. Uh, due to, due to a, a disruption in their control. As the medication wears off, if doses are missed or if they're delayed, their Parkinson's symptoms can become more apparent. So as Alice mentioned earlier, um, there's motor and non-motor symptoms, and they're both equally as important. The, the motor symptoms might be more noticeable. Um, looking at the patients, the non-motor symptoms are equally as, as important to note. So you may find they may become more anxious, they might experience more pain, uh, they might find their concentration starts to wane and their thoughts are slower, which is really distressing for the patient Or because their medication is delayed. Again, motor symptoms, so um, perhaps before they were able to mobilise to the toilet on their own because their medication is late, they may be more dependent on staff in ED as well, which again is is really distressing for the patient um, being unable to self-care for themselves. What we sometimes don't think about is that if patients have their regimes disrupted, it can take weeks for the patient to get back to their normal baseline. And missed doses of medication can cause a degree of permanent deterioration in a patient's ability, and they would never get back to that place they were before in the Parkinson's control. Neuroleptic malignant syndrome um, is a rare side effect of medications being missed, which Alice uh, went through earlier. Um, and again, this this in worst case scenario can result in the patient dying. So I think two of the most important things we can do when the patient's in ED is one, make sure their patient their medications prescribed correctly, uh, promptly, and it's administered on time. And number two is to make sure we don't prescribe these patients any medications that may worsen their Parkinson's.
1: I just um, say a point on that. So. Um... If you look at the evidence um, around missed Parkinson's medications, then um, we know that um, from the literature that um, just one missed dose of a Parkinson's um, medication can result in an increased length of stay, um, uh, an average increased length of stay of just over three days. Um, And if you think about the effects that that has um, on the patient and also um, the financial implications of that, then... It's actually huge. Um, And whilst I understand it's quite difficult um, to um, prescribe um, and ensure patients do get their Parkinson's medications on time in an emergency department, it is absolutely critical um, that they are prescribed and not only prescribed, but they are administered on time, every time. Um, And we do have... I know we're sticker crazy in the department, however, there is um, a get it on time, every time sticker um, that should go on every patient's um, notes um, who has got Parkinson's disease and is on medication. And it is absolutely, absolutely essential that um, they're prescribed and they're administered. I don't think that that can be emphasized enough.
2: Definitely. Um, the Parkinson's UK stickers have, have really made a big difference to our department. And um, We're rolling them out else, elsewhere in the Trust now because they've been really successful. Um, so they're key just to highlight on the front of the patient's notes that they're a Parkinson's patient and they need seeing
0: promptly.
1: We're trailblazers then.
0: We are, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we know that getting these patients' medications on time is so important, but what if we? What can we do if the patient's not alert enough to take the medication or if they're nil by mouth, say, due to the presenting complaint that they've come in with?
1: Okay. Um, so the first thing, um, if your patient is nil by mouth and is on Parkinson's medication, is to ask the question, can my patient swallow 10 mils of thickened fluid custard or yoghurt? And if the answer to that question is yes, then give their usual Parkinson's medications with 10 mils of thickened fluid, even if they are nil by mouth for everything else. Or you can convert their usual doses to dispersible preparations and give with the 10 mils of thickened fluid, even if they're nil by mouth for anything else. Um, Because the risks of not giving their Parkinson's medication far outweighs any risks um, that that would present from that. Um, reason that they're nil by mouth. So um, if the answer to the question, can my patient swallow 10 mils of thickened fluid is no, um, the next question you need to ask yourself is, can I pass an NG tube? Um, If you can, then do and do that before the next dose of Parkinson's meds is due and then give their usual meds in dispersible form through the NG tube. If their medication is already significantly delayed, a STAT dose of dispersible Madapar can be given down the tube. If they can't swallow 10 mils of thickened fluid and you can't pass an NG tube or the patient has got a non-functioning gut such as an ileus um, or the NG tube, is on free drainage then the alternative is to use a, a retigatine patch um, and if you look on the trust um, website so not on um, any other website then there, then there's a conversion calculator that you can use however um if you think back to the way different ways that parkinson's medications act so there's three different ways that they act you can increase the amount of l-dopa that's available you can inhibit the enzymes that break down dopamine or you can or you use a a dopamine agonist Um, and if you just put a retigotine patch on then you're only getting um, the dopamine agonist effects you're not getting the effects of the other medications that they may be on so use the ritigotine patch as a last resort um, and really do consider putting an ng tube down so that um, your patient can get the benefit of all their medications
2: yeah, the um, retigatine patch. It's it's not an exact science with the conversion, um, so it does it does really need the patient to be monitored really closely if you're converting them to retigotine patch. As Alice was saying, um, the best place to use um, for the calculation is the medical guidelines in the Parkinson's section and the medical guidelines that takes you through um, how to convert to NG tube formulations and how to convert to retigatine. Some of the um, other online calculators that. Um, are available elsewhere. We we tend not to not to use those um, because they can sometimes um, recommend a higher strength of retigotine to what our trust guidelines suggests. And with retigotine, we we tend to sort of start low and go slow with it. As Alice was saying, um, it, it's not the same as the other medications the patient may be on, so it's not an exact switch. Um, in terms of the monitoring, so monitor the patient every four hours at least when they're on the patch. Um, If they're sort of becoming more stiff and their movements are becoming a bit slower, the dose may need to be increased.
1: Can I just ask a question about that? What sort of monitoring um, would you advise?
2: So it's just the the general OBS and um, literally just sort of monitoring them for stiffness and um, any deterioration in their Parkinson's. In terms of, so if the patch was too high, you might notice the patient becoming a bit more confused or hallucinating if the patch was too, too high a strength. And that was when you'd sort of look to reduce the dose by say two milligram and then reduce review it daily um, from there on. It's really important when we do switch patients, obviously in the short term, we're wanting to make sure the patient receives their medication in the most appropriate route at that time, but the longer term management of the patient um, needs to be um done in in, um, conjunction with the Parkinson's nurse specialists with the plan to get them back on their normal regime as soon as possible.
1: And what different drugs do we stock in the department? Because I think that's um, often a barrier to um, patients getting their normal medications.
2: Yeah, so um, over the last year or so, we've really tried to improve access to Parkinson's medication in ED. So now in both the red and the green areas of majors, we keep most of the common medications. So these are co Dopa, which is also known as Cinemet, Co-Benal Dopa, also known as Madapar, and the Reticatine patches, which have the brand name Nupro it's really important um to take care when you're selecting these these medications they can be a bit confusing when you, especially when you're first getting used to them um the co dopa come in tablets and mr tablets and the co dopa come in capsules dispersible tablets and mr capsules what's an mr capsule that's modified release okay. so normally they would normally they'd be prescribed just before a patient goes to bed to the mr capsules but not always so um just just space pay special attention the patient or their carer is normally the expert in what they take so the best person to speak to so if a Parkinson's medication is not stocked in ED then in hours please speak to the ED pharmacist and um, we'll usually either be in ED or you can bleep us and out of hours please have a look at the intranet and that will tell you where to find the drug it could be available on a ward or in the emergency drug cupboards out of hours if it's not available in these places, then the on-call pharmacist can be contacted via watch and they'll be able to locate it for you. Um, the main important thing to, to make sure is that the patient doesn't miss their medication. Um, that's, that's the main thing. So
1: what what do we all think um, we can do to prevent Parkinson's patients from missing their medications in emergency departments specifically?
0: so i i think this starts right at the front door as soon as the ambulance crew comes into it and we really need to be working as a whole team and that includes the emergency services because obviously they've been on site they've seen the patient where they've come from so hopefully they will have brought their medication with them or at least brought a sheet uh, or at least got a plan of how that of what the patient normally takes i think it's about us all acting as a team from the triage nurse to the nurses in ambulance triage to everyone in the department doctors uh acps amps not only just prescribing the next dose but prescribing the subsequent doses of that day it's also about if you've made a referral to a speciality making sure that you refer you, you prescribe their medication that they will be due even if they they are under a speciality it's also little niche things about if you're sending a patient home by the discharge lounge will they miss their lunchtime dose or their afternoon dose if if they're going to be waiting there for any length of time that's a really good point that's mm-hmm. not something i thought about yeah and i, and I think it's it, it's often we kind of like we, we see a patient we, we get them ready for home or for the next part of their journey but it's thinking about how long is it going to take them to get there and actually that impact and I've seen it recently where someone has missed their doses, but then came back in later on that day because they haven't had their subsequent doses. So it's just about thinking about that person as a whole and what their plan is, because it's not just morning tea and uh, dinner time. It's it's they take them at specific times, 11 o'clock, one o'clock, and they may take them at very, very diff- different rates. And actually it's it's knowing that person. But I suppose my question is, is then if, if the patient is unable to tell us and you know, we don't have any relatives in at the minute is then how can we get this information about what drugs they take?
2: Yeah, this can be a problem, um, especially if the patient's missed their medication and is quite unwell and um, can't tell you themselves. So, as Ian was saying, it's really important that we um, get the medications right and on time. So, the way to get a good drug history so, ideally, um, best source is the patient, if, especially if they do their medications themselves. They should be able to tell you exactly what they're on. If that's not possible, and um, maybe the carer is not with them or the relative isn't with them that normally does their medication, we can ring them, ask them over the phone. That's the ideal. Um, scenario. Um, If that all fails, then usually we have access to summary care records and also Graphnet as well in the ED, and that allows us to look up the uh, drug history from the GP system. Another good good thing to look at is the GP um, and clinic letters. These might be on iPortal. There might be a letter on there from the Parkinson's nurses that details the regime the patients on. They may have also brought the tablets in with them as well. So they might have bottles of say, Madapa or Co-Carol Dopa with the timings on them. So that's another good place to look. And if they're from a nursing home, ideally they've sent in the MAR sheet that tells you when the, when the medication is due and what the medications are. Or it could be you have to ring the nursing home to check the exact timings. So usually we try to get a, a couple of um, different sources of drug history just to make sure it's 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 correct. Um. And when we've got that drug history, obviously make sure you're writing the medications on the drug chart ideally. Uh, stat doses are great, but you know, if the patient doesn't go home on time, like Ian was saying, what happens then? So at least if they're prescribed regularly on the chart, that avoids any further doses being missed.
1: Yeah, I think I think any patient who's coming to an emerging department who's got Parkinson's disease, every single patient should have a drug chart um, and their medications prescribed. Um, And just going back to the point that Ian made earlier about it being a team effort, one thing that I do now if I ever see a patient with Parkinson's disease in the emergency department um, and I always say have you brought your medications with you and then sometimes I reply well no because the paramedic said we needed to leave and we needed to leave now then I I say to them so next time if you if you do come into the emergency department again then you, you say that those medications are time critical and I need to bring them with me and I do that with every single patient that I see with Parkinson's disease now. Um, clearly if they're in cardiac arrest and they're not going to do that but um but otherwise i don't think there's any excuse that that they shouldn't be brought with their medications
2: yeah definitely um, the other thing to mention so if you're struggling to get a drug history then always contact one of the ed pharmacists and um, we'll always be able to help and um, you know we're, we're quite happy to do that it's really important these patients get their medication on time
0: so we've talked a lot about managing kind of these patients with Parkinson's. One thing I'd just like to touch on just before we finish the episode is is about discharging a patient with Parkinson's. So we've already kind of mentioned um, ensuring that if they are going somewhere to wait for transport or wait, are waiting to be picked up, um, that we should prescribe the next dose of medication. But it's thinking holistically as well is, is about whether or not there's aspects of cognition so are they remembering to take their parkinson's medication do they need assistance with that do they have carers who do that um, there's great things that they have in the community now with uh, alarming pivotel uh, drug dispensers which can give them a prompt to take it because obviously that cognitive impairment can deteriorate as their disease progresses and obviously as their regimes become more complicated it's it's important that we kind of think outside the box when we're planning for discharge i think also looking at patients who've fallen is making sure that they have a a therapy assessment and just to make sure now being a physio by background myself sometimes in the emergency department it's not ideal because as we kind of precluded to earlier in terms of their vision and we have different colored um, flooring which often they can find quite struggle because they believe it's a step so actually their depth perception is out of it and and actually we need to make sure that they may not be perfect in our environment, but we need to make sure that that we have a reasonable idea that they'll be safe in their own environment. Now, their mobility won't be as good as it normally is, but it's about making sure that people are safe. And we have some great services in terms of um, kind of the Chris team and health monitoring uh, from Home First that we can actually, sometimes it's better to get these people assessed in their own environment um, because often they're an awful lot better than what they appear in A&E.
1: Yeah, hundred percent agree. I think, I think for me, the take home messages um from this podcast would be um just to um have a have a little think and a little read around um the different Parkinson's medications um and how they work because I think if you've got an understanding of that then um you've got a better understanding of why you need to give them and why you need to give them on time every time, um and also um to have an awareness and an understanding of how parkinson's disease affects all the different systems in the body and um, not just the motor system um, and you know have a holistic approach and an understanding you know that patients will present with hallucinations and that can be normal for them and um, but 100 percent, the take-home message for me is um give their medications on time every time
0: thank you for listening to the long line we hope you have found today's episode informative and enjoyable. If you would like to contact us, please email thelonglie@outlook.com, And please follow us on Twitter for all the latest news. Our handle is TheLongLie1.